0: From the Pictures Out There studios, welcome to the Pictures Out There podcast series with Dave Fogelman and Lee Stewart. Pictures Out There ties the future to the present and is a new approach for vision and action toward a better future. And now, here's Dave and Lee.
1: This is Dave. And this is Lee. We are delighted today to have Uh, our first conversation with a real live guest on this podcast series. Lee and I, as we've conceptualized what we wanted to do with these podcasts, always envision that after some initial episodes where we'd be introducing the concepts of pictures out there and sharing examples of that, that along the way we would start introducing conversations and interviews with people who have either created fantastic pictures of their own, and began to make those come to life or have great pictures of their own. We're very delighted to have today as our first conversation guest, Natasha Kirsch.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: Natasha has founded and formulated the idea, the picture, of a a nonprofit organization called The Grooming Project. So, Natasha, tell us a little bit about The Grooming Project, first of all, for our listeners.
2: Well, we train homeless parents, so moms or dads, in the art of dog grooming, but we add complete wraparound services, so helping them to get stabilized with housing, child care, mental health, and transportation first.
1: Okay, And, and tell the audience a little bit about when this whole effort, how it first originated, and the history behind it.
2: I was doing a lot of volunteer work between 2009 and 2011 with homeless families in Kansas City. And I realized when I was working with those moms that if they started making 10 or $12 an hour, they would lose their benefits, and then they would have to quit their job so that they could have shelter and housing for their kids. Then I would find that we would have moms that would work second shift, third shift, and leave the six-year-old at home to raise the two-year-old. And then there was moms that had felonies on the record or reading at second grade reading levels. And I was struggling to figure out how to help these moms actually get out of the situation that they, they were in.
1: How did that first thought about what has become the grooming project, how did that first thought happen, that first picture start to get formulated about the effort?
2: Well, I was actually driving home from one of the shelters that I was working at, and my mom called from Iowa, and she said, find me another groomer, I'll take any warm body that walks through the door and train them. And my mom ran a dog grooming salon in Davenport, Iowa, and as a kid, I always did her marketing and bookkeeping for her, and it just hit me that she's always complained about not having enough groomers. I knew how much money my mom made, and I knew that she could flex her schedule around us kids. So we kind of put the idea together and came up with the grooming project. Tell
1: us a little bit more about that moment, how how the picture started forming, but then what you were thinking and feeling while the picture was getting created.
2: For me, you know, I instantly realized after I had the idea that I don't know how to groom a dog. I'm not a social worker. I don't know how to run a nonprofit. So it was really just trying to figure out, okay, who else do I need to bring on this team to get this started? And I really didn't think about, this might not work. or I mean, at that time, I I just didn't think about any of that. That came later. Um, But it was just really trying to figure out who can make this happen.
1: And you didn't feel restricted by any skill gap or knowledge gap that that you might have, or experience gap that you might have had at the time.
2: Well, I did, but then that's when I decided to, to go to graduate school and get a degree in nonprofit management before I started this venture. So
1: you actually had the picture created first, believed in it enough to then go say, well, what do I need to do to go ahead and put it in motion? That picture of how what you would do versus the support you would get. Did that evolve over the time you were in graduate school? How, how did the experience during graduate school change and evolve your own picture?
2: Well, it's interesting because when I started graduate school, I ended up doing two years of research on how to actually break the cycle of poverty. And a lot of what I learned was kind of what I had a hunch about. But But the other piece for me was I wanted to go too big too fast. And so the original concept was job training, housing, and childcare, all under one roof. And it was going to cost a million dollars to get started. And I was going to have to be licensed in all of those components. I got a lot of help in graduate school. They sent me to talk to a lot of different organizations in Kansas City. And we really pared back that idea. So, you know, one of my executive coaches said to me, You can pick one of those three things that you want to do, and that's it. And I was so mad I didn't talk to him for six months. (laughs) (laughs) But I finally came back. and Isn't it it wonderful getting
1: help and input? Right, (laughs) right.
2: But, you know, he was right. And I learned that the job training piece was the piece that did not exist in Kansas City. You know, the the closest dog grooming school, even, even in the state, is three hours away. He helped me find partners for housing and childcare so that I could still make my dream happen because I did know at that time that you can't just do job training.
1: So before we get too deep into the conversation, tell us uh, what some of the milestones are You know, here in 2021 that your effort has already hit.
2: Yeah. So, so far we've graduated 84 students, most of those uh, single moms, and we have 100% job placement our average wage for those moms, um, many of them being homeless before they even started our program, they're now making $41,000 a year on average. The highest earners are making between sixty dollars and $70,000 a year. But really the best milestones are knowing that that is allowing those families to provide a better life for their, for their kids.
3: Congratulations on all of those metrics, Natasha. That's a fabulous accomplishment. So in an early episode in this podcast series, Dave and I talked about all the reasons not to pursue a picture, right? Oh, that's going to be too difficult. Here's an obstacle. There's an impediment. So cast your memory back as well as you are able. What excuses did you give yourself? What reasons would you tell yourself, I shouldn't pursue this? This is not going to go anywhere.
2: Well, yeah, I I definitely had a lot of those. So, you know, I was going to graduate school full time. I was working part time uh, 30 hours a week at, at a paying job while trying to start this. And I had two little kids at home and I just felt like I kept hitting roadblocks. Like everybody that I wanted to talk to, especially about funding, wouldn't even have a conversation with me. So it it did get very difficult. And there was definitely times where I was going to quit.
3: So what kept you going?
2: Well, Barbie, um, one of the homeless moms that I had met at the shelter um, that really inspired me to start this, she had written me a letter. And in the letter, it talked about how I inspired her to deal with the hand that she had been dealt and that she finally believed in herself and that she she could get out of poverty and support her family on her own. And so every time I hit a low point, I just kept reading that, and that kept me going.
1: One of the concepts that Lee and I have talked about is how you celebrate each one of those milestones along the way.
2: You know, it was really pretty slow in the beginning for having really anything positive. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I don't know that I celebrated many of those wins. You know, mm-hmm. I, I remember in 2015, you know, that was my lowest point. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm just not going to do this anymore. But then I got a phone call from one of my mentors at St. Andrew's Church, and, and he said, you know, this is a really great idea. And I said, Doc, we've been working on this for eight months. Why is this suddenly a great idea? And he said, oh, I finally read your business plan. And it was kind of, I had moments like that along the way where, you know, people actually were taking more of an interest and, and not just thinking I was the crazy lady with this weird idea. <laughs> um, and that, that helped back
1: to that moment in the car when you were talking with your mom and that sounds like maybe the first moment that that the idea occurred to you what was the very first thing you did what was the very first step you did
2: so this is kind of funny I went home I was married at the time and I told my now ex-husband about it and he thought it was a great idea and if he thought it was a great idea, then I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is a good idea.
1: So you shared it with somebody. I shared else it with somebody and yeah. talked about it. What was the next thing you
2: did? You know, it's it's hard to it's kind of hard to remember because you you've know, done so many things. Well, you <laughs> know, it, it seems like it was so long ago, even though it really wasn't. But I mean, research research was really was my thing because yeah, I had these hunches. I was now connecting some dots. But I didn't know, I didn't know if this was going to work. And part of it was, I didn't know if maybe my mom, you know, maybe she just had a spot in Iowa that was just really busy for dog grooming. And so going back, what I did was I put together a survey and I went out and interviewed with over 40 dog groomers in the Kansas City area, dog salon owners, and asked them if there was a need for professional groomers. And then I asked them, would you hire somebody with a felony? And it's funny because 100% said that there's a need for groomers and only 50% said that they would hire somebody with a felony. As soon as I started getting some of this, this research out, it made me more confident in what my idea was.
1: You had the dream or the picture, but then if there was something where you needed to learn something, that was cool. There, there wasn't a notion of, well, I can't have the dream and picture because I don't know everything about it. It was like, no, I'll go learn.
2: It, well, exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so has that been has that been a thread all along the way that as you have been taking the project and this effort to a different place, there's been the actions you're taking coupled with any learning that you need to do along the way.
2: Yeah, all of it. You know, I I mean. I would love to say that uh, the learning is less now, but it's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, even though I'm constantly in my stretch zone and I'm uncomfortable all the time with w- what I'm doing, um, it's, I mean, I'm grateful that people still trust me and allow me to learn along the way.
1: How do you deal with that, the new uncomfortable Okay, because there's the uncomfortable that happens to us when we're doing that. As you're saying, you're in that stretch zone and you're either doing or learning about something uh, that you're not an expert in or what have you. And you have that moment of discomfort and then you proceed, you act. Is there a pattern that you've established now of, oh, yeah, here it is. I'm, I'm in another uncomfortable place how do you how do you cope with that? What do you do with that? How do you make that something that's manageable?
2: Well, for me, I feel like we're asking our students every day to do this. And mm. if if they're able to do this with everything wow. that's on their plate, then I can do it too. What are the
1: circumstances that, that the students are in when they come?
2: So a lot of them don't have uh, housing. So we have to get them um, into some kind of transitional housing or a homeless shelter. Um, they don't have child care, so we have to help them get that lined up. All of them come from severe trauma and abuse as uh, children, um, and that often lasts into their relationships as adults. So it's really um, meeting the student where they're at and trying to figure out what all that they need, taking care of that enough so that they can learn while they're in school, and I mean, our students are there from 730 in the morning to 430 at night, and that includes dropping off two or three kids at daycare, sometimes by bus, um, and then picking them up at night. And, you know, if they can do this and they can work that hard, so can the rest of us.
3: Let's talk about how a picture can actually contribute to one's individual personal growth. So a few minutes ago, you talked about having comfort with discomfort right? <laughs> I'm always uncomfortable now. It's a normal state of being. In what other ways would you say you have evolved and matured and learned and grown along this journey?
2: I feel like a different person than who I was when I started the organization or had the concept. I had really low self-esteem and I really didn't believe in myself or my own ideas. So now that's that's definitely changed you know I'm very confident where I'm at right now Um, I've overcome a lot of obstacles and I feel good about that you know I remember when I first started graduate school I actually got uh, kicked out because you're allowed to take the GRE for like you can start school and take the GRE but you got like three months to, to you know get the test score back well, my test score was so low that they couldn't keep me in the school. And I was devastated. And it just, like, you know, reassured the fact that I'm not smart enough to do this. And um, it was really interesting because I kept thinking, okay, what would I tell Barbie right now? And it would have been keep trying, find a different way. You know, this isn't the answer. And it just so happened that a couple of months later, they came out with the executive master's and public administration program, and you didn't need to take the GRE to get into that program. So
3: So resilience, perseverance, commitment, and all drawing inspiration along the way from Barbie's letter to you. What would you regard as maybe two or three of the lowest of the low points along this journey and maybe two or three of the highest high points?
2: So lowest of the low points would be Constant rejection for about two or three years while I was trying to get funding. That was really hard. I kind of think the lower points came when we actually started. First class that I had, one of the uh, students tried to commit suicide. And in future classes, we had uh, kids that died because of uh, gang involvement. Just the struggle then of getting into other people's lives that have difficult lives would probably more of the low points. High points were almost magical. You know, I think about when we first started, when we first wanted to start, when we wanted to open. It was December. I think I had maybe two weeks of uh, of money to pay grooming instructors in the bank, and we were supposed to open in like 20 days. And so my board, rightfully um, so, said we can't open. Well, these women had already made arrangements to start school and they were depending on me to to start school and my instructors were depending on me to get paid. And I just thought that this was over. But I came the the church, St. Andrew's Church, um, let us office there, came to church one morning and there was five large boxes sitting there with my name on it. And I started opening the boxes and it was five thousand dollars worth of equipment from Andis Blades this company out of Wisconsin that does all of the grooming equipment. And I had sent them a, a cold letter. I didn't know anybody there, so I wrote the president of the company and said that I needed grooming equipment to start this school. And, you know, it was eight, eight months ago. I just assumed that they threw my letter away, and he didn't. He He answered it. He sent me all the equipment, and it was then that I was like, okay, like there's people in this country right now that don't even know me that are willing to support this, so let's do it. I had there's another woman at the church we're going through it was this last stretch of fundraising She literally dumped her purse out upside down She's like on her knees on the floor getting every last quarter out of her purse To give to me and i'm saying you don't have to do that. And she's like, yes, I do this has to happen So, you know the help that we got along the way from strangers Was so cool.
3: That's wonderful well, many wonderful high points. And of course, every one of your more than 80 graduates represents a high point in that individual's uh, case as well.
1: Tell us about what makes you just so comfortable and at ease dealing with every type of person imaginable.
2: Well, it's funny because I don't think I would say that I'm comfortable at all with You're any sure of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I it doesn't really matter, um, you know, where you come from, who you are, or any of that stuff. I mean, it's just about helping other people. And that's just one of the things that I I like that piece, because we all need help. It doesn't matter if you're the richest person in the world, or if you're the poorest person in the world, we all need help in some manner. And that's the string that that brings everybody together.
1: You had mentioned uh, Barbie Daniels before and She is an associate of yours. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that relationship, and then I want to read something about Barbie.
2: So Barbie was the one, when I started the organization, that I asked her if she would help me get this off the ground because there was so much I didn't know, and she agreed. And as soon as I was able to hire a social worker, we hired her to help with case management. And so now she actually runs our legal clinic. And it's really funny because she has managed to get all the judges in the area to send people to our school instead of put them in jail. And Barbie has been able to help get them reunited with their kids just because she's gone through all of it already. I share this because she shares this um, just to help other people with their journey. She sold meth for 20 years and was part of the uh, Kansas City Mob. And now she has just completely turned her life around. And she she literally is changing hundreds of lives right now.
1: There's a a magazine, the Grooming Project magazine, that uh, comes
2: out. And there's an
1: article about Barbie in one issue of the magazine, and I'm going to read a quote from Barbie in there, and she says, "'That day in court, Natasha painted a picture of me that wasn't visible in the stack of papers on the judge's desk. Natasha was the only person who said something positive about me, the only one who said that I was a human trying to change.'"
3: What are some thoughts that you could give our listeners about how they could create and pursue their own pictures for the future, whether it be creating a not-for-profit organization or whatever other picture they may have?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, so many people, uh, have great ideas, but they don't, they don't push, um, to make them happen. And so what I would say is one first, when you have an idea, start researching it try and get some pushback on what are your assumptions that may or may not be true and then if you finally kind of have gathered enough data to think that this could actually work you have to go all in you know dipping a toe in isn't going to get you anywhere and at some point you just have to say i'm going to make this work and that's it
1: because lots of times there is the notion of this will be a good idea to go do this if it is successful if pursuing or following my own dream, my own picture isn't successful, then it would have been a bad idea to do it. And that restrains so many people from starting because they want to kind of have insured success. And as you're indicating, some of the biggest and best dreams, there, there isn't this assurance of success. If somebody has pursued that and let's say they're only 10% successful at it, was it a bad idea? For them to try
2: no never first you have to define success what does that mean to you realistically you're going to fail like at some component of whatever whatever it is that you're doing but I think as long as you're willing to not give up when you fail and learn from that mistake and keep going then that's when success actually happens because too many people I think give up the first sight of failure and that's just part of the process
1: And we, we talk about, uh, in the book and in these podcasts, living the life of your dreams and your dreams are your dreams. So it's, it's like they're there. Are you going to try to live from those or from something else?
2: Right. And there doesn't
1: seem to be a lot of choice there for us. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Okay, now let's
3: cast our vision toward the future. So this is the point in our podcast series in which we direct our thoughts and wishes to future generations. In the future, how do you think there will be more Natashas? What will they be doing, and how will they be achieving their pictures?
2: Hmm, that's a good question. I think it depends on the community you know I think what we need um and hopefully what these future people have is support like I had you know I think it's getting a few champions behind their ideas and then um learning what you need to learn uh along the way and making it happen and hopefully you know people will believe in themselves you know that was my struggle I didn't believe in myself. But hopefully they'll have that confidence and they'll keep growing with that confidence.
3: She led by saying community, right? So Dave, this is a reminder for things we've spoken about in the past, which is you don't have to be a solo hero here. (laughs) Our individual obligation is to dream our dream and to paint our picture. And then from that point on, enlist whatever help we need to realize it.
1: Let's go back to your 84 graduating students and I think of that number and the ripples of changed lives out of that number is to me staggering how do you because that's one one person change equates to I don't know 10 20 30 40 people's lives change as those ripples happen how do you think about that and
2: well it's kind of it's kind of changed how I think about it because you you know the initial intent of the of the program is is you know mom helping change that you know life for their their kids so the first ripple effect would be okay mom has three kids now those three kids are on a different trajectory and you know staying in school not getting pregnant as teenagers not getting incarcerated but the ripple effect that i was more shocked to see was our graduates helping other moms that are in an even worse situation than that they were and pulling them up. You know, I think about some of the students that I have in class right now are because of other graduates that told them to go through our program. And so, and Barbie shows this all the time. Once you get to a spot where you're stabilized and, and you know, you're not constantly in survival mode, you can start pulling other people up. And so I don't even know what the reach would be now, but it's definitely greater than 84 graduates.
3: our listeners would like to know more about The Grooming Project, uh, what would be their best way to find out more information?
2: They can go to our website, thegroomingproject.org, and we've got, we've got videos and all sorts of things on there.
1: Okay, very good. Thank you. What kind of opportunities are there for people to participate or or what would you like to share in that regard?
2: Well, we'd love for uh, people to bring their dogs in to get groomed. Uh, All of that money that we get from dog grooming goes back into our students' pockets as stipends. Uh, We are always looking for more volunteers um, and trying to fill out some of, of the committees that we have as well.
1: I think one of the things that you have... Uh, discovered along the way is the ecosystem that's required for somebody in dire circumstances to have their life lifted up with their own efforts and with help. And I, I believe you've had learnings along the way about what that ecosystem really is that's required for people to change their life circumstances in total. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, I mean I think it's a big part of our program. When when we first started, I really thought, you know, this was largely just largely just job training, but but it's not. What we learned in the first pilot class and and this was, you know, one of our first fail- failures was you have to have emergency funding when your when your tire blows on your car. You have to have child care that you can count on. You have to have a home to go to that night or you're not gonna be able to learn or work. You have to have dental care. We had so many people that had dental issues that spread through their body because they weren't getting help. We had people that couldn't see and they're trying to groom a dog. So you know, so we got eye doctors on board and then lawyers on board. And so what it really takes I think to move a family from from homeless to self-sustaining and having a better quality of life is you have to go all in at the same time. There's too many nonprofits out there, government organizations where we're trying to just do housing or we're trying to just do daycare or trying to just do job training. It doesn't work. You know, you have to have all of it at the same time. And it's a big investment. It's expensive, but it works.
1: So along the way, is is that ecosystem that was required became clearer and clearer to you, I believe you made choices about, gee, what are those things that the grooming, additional things the grooming project should take on as things that we're directly providing? And what are those things where we should be looking to partners for help?
2: Yeah, so one of the things that we ended up taking on directly, and we still can't cover all of it, but we built dorms for our homeless families. Uh, actually, we opened them this year. And only because housing was the hardest thing to to find and stabilize. There's just such a shortage right now. Um, childcare is a little bit easier. There's a little bit more resources out there for that. But it kind of goes back to the original picture where housing, childcare, and job training all under the same roof. And right now we're doing okay. But you know, eventually we might get to the point where we are taking on a little bit more
1: future when we have these conversations with you in these podcasts I think we always want to acknowledge where we believe you are and how different that is from where we are today and we believe that you are now living in a world through a lot of people's efforts where people are fed people are taken care of they have shelter they have work that's meaningful to them that pays a living wage and I think if the question is, you know, how did we get from where we are today to that beautiful place that you all are? Uh, we've had a conversation today with Exhibit A, Natasha Kirsch, uh, and all of the work you've done. Uh, it's people like Natasha that are changing the world, that are making it a better place, and that are creating the future for all of us. So, Natasha, thank you so much for being here today.
2: Thank you for having me. All
1: right. And that's it for us today.
3: Natasha, thank you for all that you do. Thanks, Lee. Take care, everybody.
0: Thank you for joining our podcast today. For more information about Pictures Out There products, services, and communities, or to contact us, please visit us at picturesoutthere.com or reach out to us on Twitter at the handle at PICS out there you can also find us on Facebook please join us for our next podcast we hope you have the day of your dreams